Good evening. So when it feels like darkness is overtaking the world, when we need to be reminded that God has redeemed the world through a manger and through a cross, when things feel desperate like they do in your beautiful town this week, we go to media, broadcast, and social media to learn details. We go to the government and we say changes are needed to prevent these kind of things from happening. But where do you go for hope and for consolation? Church. You look for a steeple or stained glass or anywhere people are gathered singing, praying, and seeking God. And you hope to find comfort and consolation in those places. You go to a local church that cares for its community, not some place that's completely detached, not aware of the real aches and pains and hurts of its community. You go to a local church, don't you? And maybe this is why some of you are here tonight. Maybe some of you came because someone told you there would be the real hope dispensed here today, and you desperately need it. We come to church to learn how to get through it, not over it. We never get over these things, do we? We get through them. And we come to this place to be with people who believe that. And so for the next few days, I'd love to spend some time talking with you about what it means to be this kind of local community. I'm honored to be here with you. It's an honor, again, and a, an interesting time to be with you again, but uh, maybe God has brought us together for a reason at this time. I believe that. So, with a word of prayer, I'd like to go through a couple of scenes from Calvary that I hope are helpful to us all tonight. Let's go by our heads. Lord God, on this Wednesday night, we, your people, gather, praying that we may learn something new together, that our time may be fruitful, and that your spirit will comfort, heal, and courage, fill our lives with joy and hope in the midst of our trouble. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We come to church at these times, and what I pray we find is the claims of Jesus and the life of Jesus guiding us and encouraging us. So as I was headed here, I kept thinking, well, what, what would Jesus say at this time? How would Jesus teach us to live at this time? And I thought about Jesus on the cross, and three things that Jesus says and does on the cross that I think are helpful. Number one, Jesus on the cross sings a song as he's going through his own suffering. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, what, he sang on the cross? It's easy to imagine Jesus healing and Jesus walking and teaching there's a lot of ways we love to imagine Jesus, but singing? Do you ever see Jesus singing? Do the Gospels speak, speak of Jesus singing? The Gospels do. When he's leaving the Last Supper with his disciples, he's singing a song. We know that. But on the cross, Jesus singing? We do. We believe he's singing. He's singing a song that has given hope and comfort and consolation to, to believers for 3,000 years. 
Jesus is singing a song of David, it's Psalm 22. You know it this way, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that? When Matthew records these words, what's Matthew doing? Matthew's saying, Jesus sang an entire psalm. What Matthew does not do is give you the whole psalm, Psalm 22. You're supposed to know it because Matthew's readers are Jewish. So if Matthew gives you the first line, you immediately go, oh, I know that song. Let me show you how. If I go like this, amazing grace. That was easier than I thought. <laughs> In the morning. Oh, this church, you're, fun. you're wonderful. You, you're better at this than I thought you would be. How about this? Let it go, let it go. <laughs> I just thought since you were just down the street from... Um, right, you hear the first line and you already know. Oh, it's the song. This preacher has quoted the first line. I know the rest of it. So if you're a good Jewish reader of the Gospels, Matthew tells you, Jesus said, my God, my God, and what does is, what is your mind go to immediately? Psalm 22, which is a song. Jesus was singing on the cross. And if you are a good reader of Scripture, a good Jewish reader, you know he wouldn't have sung just one line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would have sung the entire psalm. One does not sing one or two verses of a hymn. One sings the entire hymn. Otherwise, you lose context. You lose meaning. Do you do that here? At my church, when they sing one verse, and then someone says, we've been here long enough, let's just skip to the fourth one. You shouldn't. You miss part of the story. Do you want to know what part of the story is in Psalms 22? Sure, it begins with despair, and in moments like these, we're despairing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? Oh, but if you read on, I'm not going to read the entire thing because we'd be, we'd be here all night, sir, certainly, but let me read you from seven, verse 7 on. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Now think about the fact that this was written a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross. They hurl insults at me. Did they hurl insults at him? They did. It was almost like this psalm was written for Jesus on the cross. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet, and here come the disruptive conjunctions. I love this. Yet, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. This is not a song just of despair, of anguish. It's actually a song of victory. The presence of God is with me no matter what I go through. You want to hear more? This is really This is fascinating. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. 
My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I am thirsty, said Jesus. Remember that? Man, it's like David was, David had help. Dogs surround me and packs, pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. What? All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. A thousand years before Jesus, and this is his song. David wrote it for him. You want to hear how it ends? Because it's so good. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Can you see Jesus on the cross singing this? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face, but has listened to the cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations, that's us, will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to all people yet unborn, he has done it. Another way of saying he has done it, from the Hebrew, by the way, is it is finished. It is what is finished. What is finished? God has redeemed the world. Amen. That is the song Jesus is singing on the cross. So Jesus sings on the cross. Jesus has reconciliation in his mind. Second thing that I thought about on the way here. You know, as, as he's hanging on the cross, dying, hands pierced, feet pierced. He sees his mother and John, his disciple. And it, as he's dying and drawing his last breaths, he has this in mind. Hey, you guys better get along. <laughs> By this, all will know that you're my disciples. Um, John, look upon your mother. Mother, look upon your son. This John, this new family you and I have had together, this life three years walking together, this close, community, loving, so good. It's been so good, John. This is now your mom. Mom, you know things have not been really good with us? How do we know this? Well, because Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth, and they tried to kill him there, his own family. I'm the Messiah. In your reading today, these words of Isaiah have come true. Really? Well, that's blasphemy. We're going to kill you now, Jesus. So they took him outside, and they were going to stone him. That's his family. Now he's saying to his family, his mother, his family of origin, hey, family, this is my new family. Get along. Take care of each other. Love each other. When people come to our churches, this place is going to be occupied by the love of Jesus. People getting along and loving each other. Jesus on the cross commanded this. He had that in mind. He had reconciliation in mind on the cross. He was singing. When people come here, they better find us singing. 
And not just songs of lament that leave us feeling down and low. Sometimes at home, I mean, some of these young guys that I work with, young people, they'll do half an hour of sad, just lamentations that leave us all feeling worse and darker and depressed. And there's room and there's place for laments, yes. But man, if we don't come to this place to somehow find hope, to walk out of here ready to face a world that is darkening and even more evil than it was yesterday, assured of the presence of Jesus with us, walking with us, if one of those songs doesn't say that, something's wrong, Seba. <laughs> if our Lord himself hanging on the cross could sing a song of lament that turns into a song of victory in Jesus, and God, God redeems the world, then we could too, even in the face of great suffering. So he has singing in mind. May people find the singing songs of joy, of hope. May they find us reconciled to each other. And finally, these words of Jesus. It's not too soon to talk about this. It isn't. It's never too soon. Father, forgive them. <laughs> it's too soon, preacher from California. It's only been four days. Father, forgive them. <sighs> well, let me just say that I don't believe that forgiveness means condoning. Amen. Sometimes we confuse those two. The forgiveness does not mean your behavior is okay and that we're going to just live as if we don't recognize that what you've done is evil. Or that maybe that your behavior is okay with me even though it hurts me. Forgiveness does not mean condoning. And for some of you, maybe this is, the, this is what you came here to hear tonight. Maybe you've lived your life understanding that forgiving somebody actually means I have to be okay with your behavior. Well, tonight be liberated from that. Amen. Be freed from that. Amen. You don't have to to condone behavior to forgive. Forgiving does not mean forgetting. Sometimes, you know, we love to tie these two, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. Do you think Jesus is going to forget on the cross? Do you think folks here in this town are going to forget? Do you think folks in Sandy Hook are going to forget? No one forgets. We don't get over these things. We get through them, and we live with the scars. So forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It's okay to get a restraining order. Amen. It's okay to put boundaries up to protect yourself. It's okay to turn to those who have the authority or who have the responsibility to do something about the conditions that breed this kind of evil. Amen. It's not condoning and it's not forgetting. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that we ignore justice and we ignore consequences. Sometimes we think, oh, we forgive, so, so let's just let those who are perpetrators of great evil go free. Well, no. On the cross, Jesus is redeeming the world, but guess what? There are consequences to some of our actions. So I don't believe forgiveness means that we avoid consequences and 
You know, I have to pay that ticket I got two weeks ago. I have to pay it. I was speeding. But guess what? I'm going to go, I'm going to be real careful, especially in the sections that I know where they hide now. <laughs> that consequence has taught me something. You can't ask somebody that's been through years of abuse. Hey, after this service tonight, when we pray and we sing that song about forgiveness, you got to you got to just let it go. It doesn't mean reconciling also. And some of, sometimes we talk about forgiveness like it requires reconciliation. Well, reconciliation requires that both parties are agreed to reconcile. So sometimes we speak about forgiveness, and some, some folks walk out of forgiveness talks like, I've got to reconcile with somebody that doesn't want to reconcile with me. Well, that's not what it means. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, Something really amazing is happening. He's saying, forgive them. Like, I will not exact revenge, or I will not hand back to them what they have done to me, which is the human temptation. From, if you cut me off, on 436. I can't carry this with me because it will affect the rest of my day, so therefore I will follow you until I can do something that hands it back to you. Are you with me? If you are on a glorious drive to the basket and someone throws an elbow at you, I mean, you cannot live with that. I mean, you have to hand it back to them on the court when they're coming back at you and driving to their glorious drive to the basket. If someone hurts you, someone says something that offends you, see, our human nature is to say, I'm not going to live with this. I have to hand it back to you. Otherwise, I'm doomed. The rest of my life, I have to live with this pain. And sometimes we live our whole lives this way. You ever wonder why some people just fly off the handle for no reason? It's because they're caring so much. It's been accumulating, and I've got to hand it over to somebody. Why did dad completely lose it at somebody who cut him off? Like, this really matters? This is in the world, in the, in the condition of the world and the cosmos. This person cutting you off on Cimarron Boulevard is really what... I mean, in the face of what's really happening in the world, sometimes our disproportionate responses to what happens to us are actually an indication that we're carrying baggage that we need to hand to somebody, and it comes out, comes out in horrible ways. So in a real way, what Jesus is saying on the cross is this. Forgive them. And he's headed to his death at the hands of people who are perpetrating this abuse. He's not handing it back to anyone. The cross it's God's way of saying, I will absorb this. But then comes Sunday. There's going to be a resurrection. <clears throat> Sometimes forgiveness feels like death. Like a real death. Like I'm going to absorb this, and it's going to be painful. But the very act of keeping it instead of handing it over to someone else, or handing it back to you, means there's going to be a resurrection. A resurrection. So this last fall, 
um, I live in a place that gets really hot. Not hot like here, not humid, but it's still hot. When people say it's not hot like, you know, like in Florida, I'm like, it's hot, like a blow dryer, hot, dry, but it's still hot, it hurts. Our church, um, we love our church. My family and I, we, they had a picnic outside in August. No, it was October, actually. In October, um, which should have been a nice time of the year to have a picnic outside, but instead it was 110 degrees outside. And it felt like you were standing on the very surface of the sun. So we had to have lots of coolers with cold water for folks to drink and not die. And they're out there, you know, um, halfway through the afternoon, a little gang, criminal activity gang of little children ages four to about eight that are running around causing trouble. <laughs> There's like 10, 15 of them. Like, they took a cooler and they, they opened the top and they got cups and they were getting these cups of cold water with ice on them and chasing people down and dousing them with it. Yeah, it was awesome, because you wanted it to happen to you. <laughs> but there's this, <laughs> there's this balance. You've got, if you mess it up, if you act like you enjoyed it, then it's no fun for them, so you've got to act like, oh no, I'm so mad at you! <laughs> but not too much that scares them. So, you know, you've got to play this game with them, and so I, I'm pretty good at this. I was like, oh no, I'm so mad, I'm going to chase you down, but I wouldn't, and then they'd come back, and they'd throw at me again, I'm like, and then they would run away, screaming in joy, like, ah, he hates it, he hates it, let's keep doing it to him, I was like, yeah, keep doing it to me, yeah. <laughs> then I got cold. <laughs> I said, I'm completely soaked, enough of that. <laughs> okay, kids, it's done, I've had it. One of them, little Owen, who I've known him since he was born, they hang out of my house, I've held him here, he's, he's my little buddy. He goes to the cooler, he's little, he's like four, five, maybe four years old. Through great trouble and great pain, he finally gets a little cup in there. He's got enough ice and water in it, and he starts walking towards me, and I see him. I'm like, oh, it's going to be, he's just, oh, careful, I, just, I don't want to spill the, I don't want to spill the water. So he, it takes him like five minutes to finally get to me. He's so excited, he's a, and he gets to me, and I'm talking to somebody, and I turn to him like, okay, let's do this, Owen. And he's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then in a split moment of, I don't know, I'm not proud of this. <laughs> As he's holding this cup, about to throw it at me, I did. I'm not proud. I did. The water went all over his face. And he stood there, confused. Like... <laughs> and then he backed up a little to say, you can't, you're not going to hurt me again. And he kept looking at me, and then his little lip went... <laughs> and I felt horrible. Oh, and I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. He waited a few seconds and then he smiled, turned and ran away to go on with his little gang of criminal activity kids enjoying the afternoon. Later, as we were all getting to our cars, I yelled, Oh, and we good? We good, buddy? See you, Pastor Sam. And at that moment, I had this revelation. 
didn't hand it back to me. He didn't go get another cup of water. I'll get you back. He just said, I'm going to take this. I'm going to let it die in me. And then, resurrection. Joy. I also had this thought, maybe this is why Jesus said, the kingdom belongs to these who can live this way and forgive this way. Jesus, may you heal our hearts and transform our hearts and walk with us in our hurts. Teach us to sing in the middle of our grief, to live reconciled lives to each other, and to be willing to die so we may be resurrected as you have taught us. I pray this tonight. Amen.